0: Good morning. My name is Pete Smith. Uh, From the time we're young, we're told in a million different ways that doing something big will give our lives meaning. I want to change the world. Where do I start? I asked Google how to change the world, and the top-ranked website listed seven ways to make the world a better place. Volunteer your time at local schools. Recognize the humanity of other people and respect their dignity. Use less paper. (laughs) Drive less. Conserve water. Donate to clean water charities. Be generous. I read the table of contents of the, uh, the top book in Amazon titled How to Change the World, put out by Oxford University Press. It covered other strategies like making sure uh, rural areas have electricity, improving health care, uh, improving child uh, protection and survivability, and providing assisted living for the disabled. There's no end to humanity's desire To save the world in numerous ways. Uh, It's so obvious to everybody that something's not right in this world and we're restless to address it. We, We want to do something. And so we're constantly pressured to to do our part and join a cause. And and people love to to demonstrate on their resumes or on LinkedIn or wherever, on Facebook or whatever They love to showcase all the causes to demonstrate that they are contributing somehow to saving the world. And so how do you even go about saving the world? What in the world does the the world need to even be saved from in the first place? And and whose solution is right? Now, as Christians, we believe that God is the one who gets to tell us what's wrong with the world and how it is that the world can be saved. Uh, According to the Bible, the world has been looking for God's man to show up and fix it all. According to the Bible, That man showed up, and his name is Jesus Christ. And when he showed up to save the world, people killed him. But he didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead. He presented himself alive to his followers with many convincing proofs over a 40-day period and taught them how to change the world. And that's exactly what his followers did. Turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Acts. If you're new with us, we've been going through a Bible reading plan here in the New Testament. We've just finished up Luke a couple weeks ago, and now we've been going through the book of Acts this week. And so um, the book of Acts has been an exciting read for me personally. Uh, It's filled with action. Uh, There's Jesus ascending into heaven. He's sending the Holy Spirit to his followers. Uh, There's a few mass conversions events. There's a few martyrdoms. Uh, There's a few miracles. There's a few people even getting raised from the dead. Uh, There's arrests. There's shipwrecks. There's riots and debates about Gentiles' inclusion into the church. Uh, Luke explains that all these actions aren't just the acts of the apostles, and they're not just the acts of the Holy Spirit. But instead, they are the acts of all that Jesus began to do and teach. Luke does a great job of explaining how God's man, Jesus, began to save the world and is continuing to do so even today. Now, for a long time, the Jews thought God existed solely to save them. But when Jesus came on the scene, he taught the Jews that God not only intended to save them, but he also intended to save the rest of humanity as well. He wanted people from every people group to come unto him. And so Jesus actually reversed the history of salvation geographically. Okay, In Jesus' final words to his followers, he says, You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the farthest parts of the earth. The book of Acts is structured to demonstrate this geographical expansion. And Luke does a great job of explaining to the guy that he writes to, his name is Theophilus. He shows Theophilus just how far and how fast this salvation spread across the globe, throughout the Roman Empire. And he shows it by using two major figures that Theophilus would have heard about and been familiar with, a man by the name of Peter and a man by the name of Paul. But the real story... The real story behind Peter and Paul's efforts to expand the good news to people further and further away from the temple in Jerusalem, the real story about the spread of Christianity and the salvation of the world is largely the result of two complementary ongoing activities. And that's what I want us to focus on today. Now the first major ongoing activity that explains the salvation of the world is discovered when you read there's going to be these seven major progress reports in the book of Acts. If you have your handout you're going to see the outline of the book of Acts and you're going to see these progress reports in there. And uh, what happens is after Jesus ascends to heaven, he sends the Holy Spirit to his followers on the day of Pentecost. And Jews from all over the world happened to be there that day. And they started hearing people preach in their own native languages. And Peter gets up and he explains to them that Jesus is clearly God's man intended to save the world. And he says to to the people in Acts chapter 2 and verse 36, he says, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know beyond a doubt that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And so how did the crowd respond that day? Uh, It says in verse 37, now, when they heard this, they were acutely distressed and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, what should we do, brothers? Peter said to them, repent. And each one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises for you and your children, and for all who are far away, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Save yourselves. Save yourselves from this perverse generation. Some of your translations might say, Be saved. And so those who accepted this message were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 people were added to the church and became followers of Jesus. So according to Christianity, Jesus is saving the world through the spread of a message. Sometimes it's called the good news. Sometimes it's called the word of God. Sometimes it's called uh, the the word of the Lord. And whoever believes this message gets saved. So, what is the word of God? What's the message? Let's 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 get an overview of what that might be. On your handout, you're going to see uh, there are a number of summaries in the New Testament about what the New Testament believers, the early Christians, actually preached. And what is the, when you look at the summaries of what they preached, uh, you can start to get, a, get all the elements about Jesus that they started to say regularly to the crowds and the people that they would interact with. And we discover, first of all, that God exists. And there are no other gods besides the living God. He's the one who created all things. He's the one who created humanity. He created man. And man exists to worship God. But man does not worship the living God. Most of humans throughout history have worshipped idols. People are sinners. They have offended the living God they have disobeyed God and their relationship with God is broken with God they have sinned not only have they sinned against God they have sinned against other human beings so they have sinned in their vertical relationship with God and in all their horizontal relationships with God and that's the real problem in this world that's the thing that is below all the other things that are wrong with the world is that we're all sinners and we have messed things up with God and with other people We've wrecked the world. And the bad news is God is going to judge everyone. But the good news is God would rather save people from judgment. And so he, he uses his nation, is, uh, Israel, to, to bring about this savior of humanity named Jesus. And, and salvation only comes through Jesus and what he's done. And when he died on the cross for all the things that we did wrong, all the sins, all the times we have worshipped other things, all the times when we have disobeyed him and treated people wrongly, all those failures, Jesus died the death that we deserved. He took the punishment. He took the judgment on our behalf as our substitute. We deserve that judgment from God, but instead he took it in our place. And so Jesus is the only one who can save us, and he's promising to save us, even though we killed him. And God calls people to respond to Jesus' promise to save them. All people have to do is turn away from their sins Repent and believe in Jesus' offer of salvation and be baptized and follow Jesus. And when, when people do that, when people trust in Jesus and all that He's going to promise to give them, they get saved. They get saved. That's how the world changes. People change one at a time as they believe Jesus. It says there's a tremendous amount of benefits they get as soon as they get saved, they get forgiven of their sins. Uh, They're freed from spiritual oppression. Uh, They're declared righteous before God, the judge. Uh, Not only that, but they're reconciled back into a right relationship with God. They have peace. They're on terms with peace. There used to be hostility and enemies and enmity between each other, but now there's peace. As soon as you trust in Jesus Christ, there's peace. Not only that, but salvation, uh, when you get saved at that point, you get a new heart. God takes your heart of stone and disobedience and he gives you a new heart of flesh and one that you want to do what's right. And that changes people. I have seen people be wicked, wicked people. They get saved, they get that new heart, and bam, they are changed. Not only that, but we are given eternal life. Jesus promises to give anybody who trusts in him to raise them up from the dead. They're not going to remain dust in the ground. When he comes back, he's going to raise them back up to life, and they're going to have eternal life with him forever. We get raised from the dead just like Jesus gets raised from the dead. And to top it all off, he gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit. And when that happens as well, at salvation, we become citizens of God's kingdom. God's kingdom has not yet arrived yet, but God is collecting a citizenry for himself that is going to enter into the kingdom of God when Jesus comes back to reign on this world. So Jesus is promising to save you. Do you believe he really can? Does he have the ability to fulfill the promises he's making to you, to forgive you and raise you from the dead and give you eternal life? Do you believe the message? Or do you believe there's some other way to save the world? The awesome part is that the good news is available to everyone. On the very first occasion when someone stood up in public to tell people about Jesus, Peter made it very clear that this message is for everyone. You could be rich or poor, male or female. It doesn't matter what people group you come from or where you've lived in the world. It could be Baltimore, right? I was there. I know what John was talking about. A lot of people did some terrible things, and I got the phone calls about my friends doing stuff. I could have been doing that too. No matter what you've ever done wrong, this message of salvation is for you. And Jesus will save you if you believe Jesus will fulfill these promises. It's for everyone, even today. Now, after Peter preached this message, Luke gives us a series of progress reports about how far and how fast this message started changing the world. And I want us to quickly go through these progress reports. The first one uh, about the advance of salvation in the world takes place at the end of chapter 2 in verse 47. You'll have it on your handout if you have that. And it says this, we get the first progress report. It says, and the Lord was adding to their number every day those who were being saved. Did you hear that? People were getting saved right there at the temple precincts in Jerusalem, but it didn't stop there. In Acts 6, 7, we read the word of God continued to spread and the number of disciples in jerusalem increased greatly and a large group of priests became obedient to the faith now this all happened in jerusalem and then the persecution started happening in the early church and uh and so the the message started to go out from there and in acts chapter 8 and verse 4 we read now those who had been forced to scatter went around proclaiming the good news of the word The word is the thing that got scattered as a result of these persecutions. And uh, down in the fourth progress report, you're going to see this. After a famous Gentile named Cornelius gets saved, uh, Peter got arrested. And then we read this. It says, but the word of God kept on increasing and multiplying. It's the word that's getting out. It's this message. The good news is going forward. The good news about Jesus Christ couldn't be stopped. Uh, Even though there were people who were determined to stop the spread of the message of salvation, even though there were nations determined to reject Jesus as their Savior of the world, the Word of God kept reaching more and more people, and more and more people believed it. Now, I want you to notice that it's not the church's advance, but it's the Word of God's advancement in the world that is saving people. And the thing that's saving the world is The word. And then Paul goes off on his first and second missionary journeys. He goes to this place called Asia Minor in Greece. And then we get another progress report. And we discover that the early church is, is taking the, the, na- the this word of salvation to all these disinherited nations. Israel was only the only nation that God was, had chosen for himself. But all the other nations, they were being ruled by evil uh, spiritual beings leading those nations. And so they're all under bondage to Satan, but nothing... Could stop God's advancement into these territories that were being ruled by Satan. God is driving the gospel forward. He's collecting for himself all these citizens before he gifts them entrance into the kingdom of God. And then we get this really clear statement in the sixth progress report in Acts chapter 19. We read this it says, Large numbers, listen to this, large numbers of those who had practiced magic collected their books, and burned them up in the presence of everyone. When the value of the books was added up, it was found to total 50,000 silver coins. In this way, the word of the Lord continued to grow in power and to prevail. Over what is the word of the Lord prevailing? Right? Even those in league with demonic powers are being overcome. Now, I've seen multiple reports in in recent years here in the west that paganism is on the rise but that doesn't mean people aren't interested in spiritual things Uh, there's a spiritual hunger still here in people even here in massachusetts and rhode island Uh, they aren't just uh, Uh, turning, they aren't turning to the answers that Christians have been providing in previous generations, but all these pagan religions that are happening, they're all demonic in origin, and people are increasingly bringing themselves into bondage to these demonic messages and demonic powers. And you know what? It's not for us to be afraid. It is not for us to be afraid as Christians, but rather our hope is in the power of the word of the Lord. It's the message's ability that's actually stronger than anything that Satan can bring against us. And when people are tired of being in bondage to spiritual oppression, the word of the Lord is going to be available to them and to bring them freedom from that. At the very end of the book of Luke of Acts, Luke gives us one last pro- progress report on Jesus' work to continue forward Uh, saving the the world and paul is under house arrest and we read paul lived there two whole years in his own rented quarters and welcomed all who came to him proclaiming the kingdom of god and teaching about the lord jesus christ with complete boldness and without restriction. Luke's saying to Theophilus, you want to know why this gospel message has expanded throughout the world? Well, it's because of, it's, the, it's the legitimate, uh, uh, unstoppable expansion of this message that's being empowered by the Lord to save people. It's an inevitable movement of Jesus Christ to save everyone. There's an inherent power and forwardness and unstoppability to this message that's that's being shared by Jesus' followers about Jesus. And so Luke ends his two volumes by saying the gospel is without hindrance. There's no restriction on it. You can't tame the interrogation of the word of God on people's hearts. You can't stamp it out, arrest it out, snuff it out, or silence it. You can't argue with it down. You can't make it illegal or use governing authorities to stop it. It's unstoppable because it's of God. He is saving the world through this message. And the people telling and retelling this news are the real people of God. They're the ones participating in the salvation of the world. Now, the early church, they understood themselves as the true people of God, as this witnessing community that was wholly devoted to those people who were not yet inside the church. You realize that the church is the only group on the planet that exists for the people who are outside of it, and not just for the people inside of it. And it's our responsibility, if you are a Christ follower, to participate and sharing the good news of Jesus Christ regularly, repeatedly, and liberally to any and all who will listen. And we don't have to be afraid of losing. There's world-changing power in the message of Jesus Christ. You and I have been given the most powerful agent of change in the history of the world, the good news of Jesus Christ. One of the things that's uh, vital to paul's ministry is that there were anywhere between five and nine men who committed themselves to seeing the forward advancement of the message of the gospel of jesus christ into more and more unreached people groups and these men basically gave up whatever ambitions that they had for their own lives to go and tell the message And plant churches and quickly re-strengthen the other churches that had just been planted. And Jesus' mission became the mission of every single part of their life. Jesus' mission told them how to use their money. It told them how to do everything in their life. But here's the thing. It's not just Peter and Paul. Yeah, they might have gotten a lot of screen time in the book of Acts in the early church but the real multiplication happened because of people just like you and me one of my favorite stories in the book of acts is in acts chapter 8 turn with me there quickly and beginning at verse 26 acts chapter 8 and verse 26 it says then an angel of the lord said to philip philip was a deacon in the church he was a christian and uh the angel of the Lord said to Philip, get up and go south on the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. Go south on the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is like giving directions to people out in the country. Go down the street, you see a big pile of hay, take a lift, you know, like go down right and then you do This red bar, that's how they do it out in the country. I've lived out in the rural areas. Well, this is kind of what the Lord's doing to Philip. He's saying, go down this rural route to the desert. Go down there. And So what does Philip do in verse 27? It says, so he got up and went. There he met an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Cadence, the queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasury. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning home, sitting in his chariot, reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the Spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran up to it and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. He asked him, do you understand what you're reading? The man replied, how in the world can I, unless somebody guides me? So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now this passage of scripture the man was reading was this. He was led like a sheep to slaughter, and like a lamb before its shears is silent. So he did not open his mouth. In humiliation, justice was taken from him. Who can describe his posterity? For his life was taken away from the earth. Then the eunuch said to Philip, Please tell me, who is the prophet saying this about himself or someone else? So Philip started speaking. And beginning with this scripture, proclaimed the good news about Jesus to him. Now as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, there is water. What is to stop me from being baptized? So he ordered the chariot to stop, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. Now when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him anymore, but he went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, it says in verse 40, found himself in Azadus, and as he passed through the area, he proclaimed the good news to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. All right? Philip wasn't just some giant of a person. All he did was do what he was told. Hey, Philip, go down this road. He went. He showed up. Hey, Philip, run up to that chariot. And he ran. And he listened. And he asked a question, a simple question. All the pre-evangelism that had been done, already been done for that Ethiopian eunuch, God knew all the things that that Ethiopian had already believed about him. He just needed to know a little bit more he probably understood his sinfulness and need of a savior. He understood that the living God is the God of Israel. All he needed was somebody to tell him about Jesus. And God knew that too. And So he just asked Philip to do a simple thing. Philip made himself available to the Lord. And because the Lord's mission was the thing that was the driving force in his life, He simply went. He showed up because he made himself available. It wasn't a huge crowd. It was one-on-one that he told this man the message, and then Jesus did the rest, and he got baptized. In Acts 8, God puts this man on the path with this Ethiopian eunuch, And it's about the summer of 35 CE. And then God took Philip and he disappeared him. And he shows up in this place at Caesarea. And that was in 35 CE. Did you know when you read the rest of the book of Acts, you discover Philip again in the book of Acts? And it's 22 years later. And he's still there in Caesarea, faithfully doing what he had been done before, And he's got a whole family of people who are Christ followers on mission as well. Luke uses Philip to explain how the gospel practically got spread. Philip was simply an instrument under divine direction who, when called upon, capably shared the gospel one-on-one with somebody. Behind all the drama of Peter and Paul and a handful of mass conversion events and martyrdoms, the spread of the good news of Jesus is normally the result of normal people being available to be used by God in small, unsuspecting ways simply because God put them there to be used. The true people of God on earth are the people who are on Jesus' mission to spread the good news of Jesus Christ. That's the storyline behind the storyline of how the world gets saved. You discover Acts is actually really concerned about the acts of Jesus through every Christian, not just famous people on stage. That's how the gospel gets spread into every corner of the world. And that's where you and I fit into saving the world. We simply have to tell people what God and Christ has done. And we have to view our entire lives on mission. And then mission wherever God places us. We have to use our lips. We have to take the initiative to speak. Tell people what you know about Jesus. That's it. Let the word do the rest. There's power in it to change people. You know, I didn't set off for graduate school hoping to be a pastor one day. I'd never known a pastor, and the churches that I had attended never had a pastor. They had a plurality of elders, just like here at Good News. And I just wanted to learn more and maybe be a professor one day. I I really wasn't sure. But the truth is, I had no clear vocational objectives. All I knew was I wanted to be used by God. Somehow it made sense to me uh, to move to the great state of Texas, far from home, hope for a job, move in with some strangers from roommates, and spend all my money on the first month of rent and my first semester of school and see if I could make it. I didn't fit in in Texas one bit. <laughs> they all spoke funny, and I was a blue-collar guy in a white-collar city. I was a nobody to everybody No one knew anything about me or my time in Bible college. I do remember that when I talked about the future, uh, I really didn't care about the American dream. I wanted to do something different. I wanted to live for the Lord alone. I didn't care about being cool or original or acquiring nice clothes. I wanted to obey the Lord at all costs. I was all in on him, whatever that meant, even if it meant being in Texas for some time. Big or small, I didn't care. I just wanted to live by faith. And I was fine with forgoing and delaying some of the milestones of a typical successful life. Other people, they could go and they could chase the nice career and they can have the nice home and the nice family with 2.3 children and live with their dog and their nice cars. And it didn't matter to me. I was willing to do whatever God wanted. Now, it's a little embarrassing thinking about all those aspirations now. My life is great, but it's turned out differently than what I envisioned it to be. These days, I take my daughter to the bus stop in the morning, and I talk to my neighbors. And I do yard work, and I talk to my neighbors. I clean the house and do some laundry. I eat dinner as a family most every night. Victoria and I don't have 2.3 children. We have four children. Pretty soon we're going to be shuttling around the kids to all the different practices at different fields of here in Attleboro. Life comes at us extremely fast. And maybe you can relate. You started off your journey into adulthood with a burst of idealism and then life slammed into reality. You believed you were going to do something dramatic and make a big difference only to find it's just hard to make it. And as the years rolled by, your life got busier, tougher, and more filled. And then one day... You woke up with more responsibilities than time to do it, and you've forgotten how to have a fun hobby. Now you're juggling a host of competing priorities, career, family, health, that warning light in the car, friends, church. It feels like if someone were to add one more thing to your to-do list, you just might crumble. And at the same time, those grand dreams that you had are still there, nagging faintly in the back of your mind. If that's you... The book of Acts is for you. First of all, if you read the book of Acts properly, you'll discover that you're not called to change the world. That's God's job. God doesn't require us to do something big and dramatic to fulfill his calling in our lives. Maybe 20 years ago, I would have been really disappointed to hear that. But now, it's a relief. (laughs) Saving the world sounds exhausting, and I just don't have the energy these days. Maybe I never had the energy. There's nothing wrong with Peter and Paul's stories, okay? But instead, God calls most of his followers to small acts of ordinary faithfulness like Philip, who let Jesus be the hero and the main character of their life and just made themselves available to God and showed up when God called them to share the good news of how God saves the world through Jesus might not look like we're changing the world, but it changes it. It changes every time people turn around and trust in Jesus to save them. Jesus is still acting and teaching people about who he is and what he's done and can do for them. And this hit home for me recently when I read a blog post that asked me to name some of the, most, some of the people I uh, admired most in my life. And my list didn't contain one single person who was powerful or famous or held a political office or even preached in a pulpit. They weren't especially talented people or very charismatic people either. So why did I admire them? Because they were people that I saw that were just faithful to show up and share the good news when God put people in front of them. That's all they did. One person was a church elder who tirelessly met with unbelievers and put himself into the lives of unbelievers as a public school teacher and a football coach. And as he met with unbelievers, he tirelessly told them the gospel of Jesus Christ was the only thing that could change their world. Another is my dad who worked in the printing industry and he lived a, a righteous life in an unrighteous world and regularly told his co-workers about Jesus and you know what? Some of them got saved. None of these people did anything traumatic or daring to win my respect. They didn't even know I was watching them. But I admire them because they persevered in the mission of Jesus in every area of their lives. They kept getting up, sharing the good news, pushing ahead they continued serving and loving and praying and believing. they obeyed God's call on them wherever He placed them, and all who knew them saw they were thoroughly Christian and heard about Jesus' ability to save the world. They did it, they did it even when they felt stuck, even when they had bad days, they did it even when they were being maligned or slandered or they were bored in life. They just showed up and they were faithful to point people to Jesus regularly. The great thing is God delights to use those small acts of obedience, those small imperfect gospel deliveries to to multiply the church and save the world. He takes his word and he accomplishes what you and I could never do with it. We can't change people's heart. We can't. We can't believe the gospel for them. All we can do share what we know and god does the rest it's the most amazing thing on the planet to see god saving the world one person at a time and if you want to see that action up close too you need to share the gospel this week and just let it do what it does let's pray father in heaven lord i want to thank you so much for the word of the lord that has reached even to attleboro and to us Somewhere, somewhere along the line, somebody has shared the good news with us, invited us to church or something, Lord, and it got exposed to us. And Maybe there's somebody here today who has heard for the first time what Jesus is willing to do to save them. And maybe they need to believe it for themselves. And I pray that they do. And that they would turn to you and turn away from their sin. And they would receive that forgiveness by believing in the message of Jesus Christ to to save them. And I pray for us who are believers, Lord, we would be so storied with your mission in every single part of our lives that we would change the people that you put into our lives, Lord, the people that you show up into our lives, that we would just be faithful to deliver the gospel as best as we can, that you would take it and do with it miracles in their hearts, Lord. Help us to be bold. Help us to be courageous. Help us to know that it's your word that interrogates their hearts. Help us to know there's power in it, that nothing, nothing can stop it. I pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen.